A bit of a different intro today. We just wanted to take a quick second to thank you, the listener, as today marks the one-year anniversary of this podcast. We know it may be difficult to listen to some of our episodes, but we want you to know you're not alone and we hear you. We're going to bring a lot more content going forward to help give you hope. And not just that, you guys have let us know what you need to hear and what you need in your lives and just given us some amazing ideas that we can't wait to share with you. So if you're new, welcome. If you've been along for the ride from the very beginning, thank you. Just wait to see what we have in store. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I'm Matt. I'm Paige. And this is our one year anniversary episode, a special episode. We have never had guests on before, but today we will do that. We will get to that here in just a moment. Before we do that, I'd like to open up with uh, the purpose of all this. So this is September and this is recovery month. This is a, a month that brings awareness to people that recover. And stories that you will hear today and, and my own personal story, you've heard the journey of my recovery. Um, but I think that what we do here more than anything is highlight the journey of the the spouse and the family, because it's not just one person that recovers. I think we like to highlight um, people that recover from addiction and alcoholism. And there's by no means no small feat and not to minimize that by any means. But I'd like to further that conversation and talk about the spouses. We've got a special treat here today. Um, this is probably back in 2016, 2017, I was sitting in a meeting and there was this guy in there, this, um, kind of a big, scary looking dude, man. Um, he was sharing a, sharing a message in, in, in a, in a meeting. And I knew that he was early on. Uh, he was talking about how things weren't exactly great at home, uh, unemployed, uh, looking for a job. Life was, life was tough. And me and this guy, without knowing it, had a mutual friend, um, a man by the name of Jim G. Uh, he's an incredible person. He actually was part of the first group that gave me uh, my desire chip whenever I was in treatment back in 2013. And I ran a meeting with this guy at a treatment center. So three, four times a month, we get together, we take a meeting to a, to a treatment center, and we just bring a message of hope to people that are in there to show them that people do recover. And we sit up there as an example of it. We talk a bit about our journeys and what got us there. And I don't know, probably four to six months later, he approaches me. He's like, Hey, I've been working with this guy. Uh, his name's Steve. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to have him in the meeting. And I had seen Steve in meetings before, and he had a, an incredible message. And I was like, absolutely, man, he's got strong recovery. Let's do it. And so Steve came up and Steve and I have been now been running this meeting uh, for quite some time, seven, eight years, something like that. And we, we still get up there three, four times a month. You guys have heard me mention this. As a matter of fact, you've heard a portion of Steve's story without realizing it. Um, several weeks ago, we talked about, um, I was talking about this guy and he had this message and how powerful his message was because it was ultimately his wife's strength that got him into recovery. And I said, man, I'd love to have him on one day to tell his story. And here we are, um, Steve and his lovely wife, Christine have agreed to come on and share their, share their journey. Uh, so why don't you guys just go ahead and say hello, introduce yourselves. Welcome in. Hey man, it's uh, it's good to be on, good <laughs> to be in front of camera. And it's like crazy to do this, uh, live. Yeah. It's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. We spent lots of hours telling this story, but doing it live is different. So it's glad to be here. Awesome. Hey, so good to be here as well. Yeah. And just a little bit of background. Uh, we just put everyone on the spot and it's like, Hey, you guys want to record a podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and so here we are on quick right yeah hey let's just do all four of you on camera it's like you okay with this so yeah yep awesome so um i've i've opened it up for you steve and a bit of background here um we go into a treatment center and we speak three four times a month and steve's story i think resonates so deeply with within an a number of people that mine can't touch because he has been through the ringer. He has built up villages and burned them down multiple times and still found recovery. And the way that you articulate your message and, and the way that you speak often draws rounds of applauses from people. And then afterward, there's a line of folks that want to talk to Steve about his message. So it's truly an honor and treat to have you here. I've, I've heard it a, a hundred times and it never gets old. I've, I've, I've heard this thing. It probably literally has been a hundred times or more, uh, heard this message, but I would like for you to just introduce yourself, get a bit of background and let's just get into it. Let's tell your story, man. All right, man. So, uh, thanks. Yeah. Matt and I have done this treatment center for seven and a half years. I did the math the other night, probably 195 times we've been in there together. That's excluding times when we weren't. So it's almost 200 hours of sitting by each other telling the same stories. So I could, I could tell his story. I never get tired of hearing it. Um, and it's a privilege to get back. So twofold to this opportunity is it's interesting to get it hope from the person who's recovered and then the spouse, which this has made this really interesting because I think there's a lot of context. So I appreciate my wife being here. All right. I'll, I'll give my story and I'll encapsulate it as quickly as possible. It's like 32 years of using and we'll try to do it in 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, see where this goes. So, I mean, at a background, normal family, normal home, like the, the leave it to beaver family for anyone old enough to remember it, like normal fifties generation parents and a beautiful upbringing. And I, they say fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, but I like fell off the tree and rolled a long way away because my family, two brothers, mom and dad, normal, huge loving family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, massive family and everything normal. But I'd say probably about 13, I met there's a, some guys moved in the neighborhood and they were like the kid rock family. So we lived in a normal, normal um, suburbs. And when these people moved in, they like parked cars on the driveway and they all had mullets. <laughs> and for every parent in the neighborhood, they were like, there goes the neighborhood. Yeah. But man, we gravitated quick because they were doing all the stuff that we didn't think we could do. Um, and 13 drank alcohol, smoked weed, friend of mine introduced it to me and I loved it. I don't define my journey any different than I like an altered state of mind and it felt good and it did. And so I just chased it feeling good. And then went all through my teens, just having fun, taking, taking drugs, smoking weed, drinking, really putting my priority on having fun, but not, um, focusing on anything of like responsibility. So high school barely attended and, and just got through it. Didn't have any desire to go towards college or any of that stuff. I just wanted to have fun and life was like, I don't know, functioning and normal. There's probably millions of people who are walking that same journey. And then like the road forked. I always talk about the road for it. I think anybody in recovery will look back on their journey. I've been sober seven and a half years. In January 2nd, I'll have eight years. And you think if I wouldn't have done that, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. If that wouldn't have happened. And for me, there was like two big forks in the road. So I started a business, a moving company, and my family didn't go to college. I had a wife, had a daughter, and was functional. Functional drinking, smoking weed, doing alcohol, doing drugs, just functional, you know, as functional as it sounds. I know it sounds crazy for people who are normal, but it was just, it was normal. And 
around that time, one of my best friends I've known him 45 years is in recovery now. And he, um, he came over and said, Hey, check this out. And it was a little tinfoil packet looked like a miniature piece of Wrigley spearmint gum. And he's like, check this out. And I was like, what is it? And he goes, just do it. So I went in and snorted a little line of it and it was heaven. It was, it was beautiful road forked. I had no idea. Um, and so, uh, powdered heroin came into the game. And now in my world, that was just so off limits. Like you just knew there was things you didn't do. And that was definitely one of them, but it was innocent and it was, a, it was beautiful. And, um, we used to call it sleeping with the angels and, and it was seductive. And man, you ever wonder why people get <clears throat> strung out? It's because the entry to that is magical. And it was and the road forked. And that became a, 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 prop, a, a habit, you know, a, a fun, an outlet, and it maintained it being normal as normal could be, not even realizing I was de- that was developing a massive problem. And then a little while later, same buddy, this poor guy, he's the <laughs> first one to, he's a beautiful person, but he's the first one to give me alcohol, the first one to give me weed, first one to give me heroin, and eventually was like, hey, powdered cocaine. He lived with some scumbags who had it. And I would go in and out of it. I could go in and do a little and go home and be fine. And they were like, how can you do that and go home? And I was like, I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's okay. It's good. And the road forked. And if you fast forwarded through my twenties, by the time I was like 29, I was hopelessly addicted to cocaine and heroin. And I spent three years, um, that are a blur, like smoking cocaine and, and, but you know, go to work functional, do my job, take money from the business to go buy drugs. But at the end of the day, was just doing everything that you would never want a spouse to do. Everything. And that all came to a head. And eventually the wife found out and the parents were about to do an intervention. The family was concerned and it all fell out. And before that, I'd been to treatment twice, but they weren't 12-step based just to get the wife off my back. And um, went into, I remember going in to see the the family insurance drug counselor that you go to before you go to treatment, which is like, you have to talk to this person first before. And I remember telling this guy, I said, man, I really don't have a problem, man. I just socially use heroin. And he was like, dude, (laughs) like normal people don't do heroin. Socially socially. use heroin. You need to get to a 12 step meeting and stay there. So I did go, I went to a different 12 step than I'm in now. And I knew from my first meeting I belonged and I identified. I, I knew it, like I knew it, but I wasn't ready at all. wasn't even close. So when it all came to a head, and eventually the whole family was gone, everything was over. 135 pounds, everything gone. Village burned to the ground. Lost everything, literally everything. I moved into a sober living, had nowhere else to go, and started a 12-step journey, and 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 really committed into that. Um, let everything that I'd ever worked for go. I let my ex-wife have everything house. I mean, whatever was left, she took, and I just walked away from it. I, I realized that I had no ground to really stand on and, um, started that journey and got four and a half years clean in that journey. And life got great. I mean, it did. I was involved. I was sponsoring. I was helping people. I was in service. I got uh, my wife. We met. So I was, I was clean at the time and, um, most beautiful human I've ever met, Christine, truly an angel. And life was great. But I told her, I said, if I ever, if I ever drink, get far, far away from me, I'll turn into a werewolf. And I knew at that time, like that was honest and fair. And then I was on a business trip. I was now at this point, I was in healthcare. I'd become an area vice president. I wore a tie to work. I'd never been to college. I'd gotten into healthcare and had promotions and moved up and life was great. 
everything was normal, functional, and healthy, you know, and it was a true miracle turnaround. And then on a business trip, I mean, I can't even tell you why, but I had the thought that, um, you never had a problem with alcohol you could drink, which is insanity. It's the insanity of that thought alone. It just shows how I drifted. And I really don't spend a lot of time looking at the why, like, why did I get there? But as soon as I drank, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. Every bit of spirituality I had was just sucked out of me. And that first night of drinking just turned out terrible. I mean, it was bad. But I came home from that trip and met the wife at work and told her I had drank. Uh, we call each other wife and husband. So that is not demeaning. Okay? <laughs> you, you'll hear this all the time. Like wife, husband. It's, it's great. Okay. It's just, <laughs> I got to put that for context of people listening. Um, so met the wife at her work and told her I drank and she was like, whoa, but I sold her on the fact it would be okay. And so that got her okay. And we started drinking socially and it was normal for a minute. You know, it was, we would go to like, I can remember the first bar we went to for a football game and had beers and went home. It was normal. The problem was, is she is normal and she will drink normal and not drink for months and that's her life. And for me, the volume started turning up and it was never going down. It, it was slow. It yeah. took a long time to destroy all the recovery. And um, eventually, I think I had dental surgery. There was a series of health events that got me exposed to pain medication. Uh -huh. And it was unintentional. But I was drinking. And I never liked it. But I had a buddy I rode motorcycles with who's like, man, I love codeine. And I was like, really? I never, I used to go to Mexico and do pill runs when I was younger. <laughs> it's terrible. There's so much pastor. But I, so I, I never, um, yeah, God, that's terrible. I uh, never liked it, but that opened my eyes to it. So either through a dental surgery or then I got hurt training jujitsu, which I do. Anyway, I got coding into the play. And that started a journey of alcohol and prescription medication, occasional weed, but I was white collar now and I knew better than to do street drugs. I knew better. Um, and, and that journey set into motion probably 12 years of in and out of the other 12 step fellowship where I would try to start and stop. And I threw away, then my work collapsed. We had problems at work. I was accused of being inappropriate. That was a huge part of our marriage discussion over, um, honesty and what had happened. And, um, and so well, I'll get to that a little bit later when I get to the AA part. Yeah. But, um, the, uh, the work went out. I lost that job. I got like IOP. So all this stuff fell out. Like work was falling out. I'm trying to hold it together. I get nine months. I get six months. I get three months and I let it go. So my recovery is like in these spurts. And I remember being using and thinking you had been out and I, I can't get out again. And she didn't have a clue at the depths of this. So there would be a Saturday where I had pills and I would hide them. She would find them all the time. She's psychic. She would, <laughs> she would go in the garage, man, and find a full bottle of pills and like send me a text message holding them. And I'm like, how, man? how did she find them? Like, them, you know, it's the garage and you're a guy and you're hiding stuff. Like, and man, she would just go at it. And then the, like the letters from uh, the mail would come. And that was always terrifying because you're like, if a doctor's bill comes in and all this. So all that to be said is like this whole journey of going back in now is this thing is spinning and I can't get out again. And I know I'm going to head to the edge. I know it. I know what I'm doing is going to have a terrible price to pay, but I'm back in the loop. 
And, and so all of this in and out, and then you get to the end, like January at 15. And at this point, I think from her perspective, things were probably a lot worse than I was aware of. Cause she was holding everything together for sure. And I was the alcoholic addict guy that was like making money, spending money, hiding money. It just sickening. But I really couldn't even see it at the time because in my mind, I thought as long as I felt good, everything would be okay. And I love my family deeply. I love my kids deeply. I was always present, never wanted to be like, never just, you know, took off and unaccounted for. Um, but end of that 2015, you get to Christmas and my kids are in town and I've taken a couple of weeks off for work to sober up and clean up again, which is like take time off and do it. And it, it just fell out. And right about that time, my sponsor from the first 12 steps said, man, maybe you should try AA. Oh, crap. Probably want to edit that out. No, no, I have to. Whatever. Not at all. Another 12 step. And um, I I did. And I went. And so just uh, Christmas of 2015 was terrible. My wife and kids are living with Elvis. And I love that visual. It's terrible. (laughs) I can picture you in a bathrobe. Oh, God. It's just a mess. But one of the things, too, that really hit... Is at that time, my daughter said, um, and I was, I was being just terrible. Um, she said, uh, I don't want to come see you anymore. And she was what, 18, 19? Oh, was she probably eight? Let's say 18. And, um, I, I was like in my head, like, you can't tell me that. Like, mm-hmm. I get it, but that's just not the way this works. I'm the parent, you're the child. And then, so she leaves and, um, I go to a, my first meeting on January 2nd, which was a Saturday, and I went to a men's meeting in AA. And I could tell you I wasn't done. I, I, I was there, but I don't know if I was done or not, but I knew I definitely had to be there and things were getting really bad. I didn't know how bad things were about to get, but um, I did go to a meeting. And then the second meeting I went to um, was a, a Sunday night. At a, it was a Sunday night evening meeting. And this is where everything in my life changed and God stepped in. I didn't know it at the time, but he did. And I sat across the room from a guy and I could look in his eyes and I saw that he was free. I could see he got out. Like it was very, it was moving because I thought to myself, he found the way out and I hadn't. And and I got so much hope in seeing that guy because I had two thoughts that kind of crossed my mind. It was the first time the thoughts that ever really penetrated my being was one, it was three, he, he found the way out Two, why not me? And three, what would my life look like if this really worked? So as suggested, and I told him like my marriage was falling apart, you know, and, and the brute, the, the honesty of these meetings is rough. Cause he goes, good. Maybe it'll keep you sober. And I was like, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> I was looking for some sort of like, I understand it's going to be okay. No. So I got a, I got a sponsors as it was suggested. And, um, then the next day was a Monday and this is where everything changed. And we were as Monday morning and she was getting ready for work and I was in the bedroom and we were talking and which was coming to an argument because there was a lot of tension right now. And, and I think I throw out the Trump card of like, so what do you want a divorce? And we will do that. You know, yep. couples will do that crap. You know, you kind of throw it out there and and she looked at me and she said, yes. And I tell this all the time, man, because I could see in her eyes that the emotion was gone. It was a look of indifference and, and my world spun. Like it, it was everything. And I realized like, wait, 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 time out. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And I, I realized like this is happening and it was terrible. 
I mean, horrible. Because this was now second home, second wife, second family, my soulmate, everything that I love and wanted to hold on to is done. And I can see in her eyes, it's over. And, um, and so when I was reeling from that, and I, I'd finally processed like this has happened. And she said, man, um, just answer me. Like she said, she goes, you're my soulmate. And I love you more than anyone in the world. And I thought hope. And she said, uh, It still chokes me up. I've probably told this 200, 300 times. And she said, uh, I'm your soulmate. I love you more than anyone else in the world. And I don't want to see you anymore. And I was like, fuck. So, and then she said, man, one question. Of all the times you had in 12 years to get sober for your family, why couldn't you do it once? And the best I could muster is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I, I mean, Matt will tell this uh, alcoholics and addicts understand that answer because it's not of indifference or, or, or like being mean. It is a true understanding of, I don't know, man, I cannot tell you why I just traded everything that was good in my life so I could feel good. And that mm -hmm. was it. I just wanted to feel good. If I felt good, life was manageable. And when I could, when I've had the right combination of what worked, it worked until it didn't. Mm -hmm. So I left that room and I heard from a dude, I mean, you've told it so well on that previous podcast, an old guy from a meeting, bro, from Detroit, and and beautiful guy. I've been sober forever. And every time I'd come in and reestablish my sobriety date, he'd be like, oh, man, I love you, man. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're back, man. You keep coming back, man. You'll know in your heart when you've had enough. And um, I used to hear that. And when I walked out of that room, that is what I heard. And I, I heard that. And I said to myself, this shit stops right now. No more. No more. And then that set into motion. And at that point, I was I was done. And prior to her saying that, I wouldn't have been done. I don't think. I, I think I would have found another way to try to put the round peg in the square hole. And it's it's just the ultimate insanity that it takes that level of like desperation and consequence for someone to understand that this is what you this is what you paid to feel good. Are you happy? But you just bought it, and there's no. No going back. Um, and so I threw myself into the 12 steps. And from that, it's been a miracle. I mean, so that's what brought me into recovery. But the, from that, this, the, the miracle of what I got out of recovery has been the single greatest thing in my life. Um, and it's restored. Our marriage was restored. She left for six months and I tried. But then there was a lot of hurdles that went down that I'm sure she's going to have insight to that really made me realize the depth of what I've done by just getting sober and trying to get her back the proverbial, I want to get her back um, because we do inventories and recovery. And she found my four step, which is an inventory of like our past. Mm -hmm. And, and she made photocopies of it. So I, so that came out where like, you need to explain this. And I did and was honest, but in her perspective, there's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to take away from the perspective that I've driven from seeing this. Yeah. And so I went through that with her multiple times. And now I look back on it and I realize like the damage of everything that I had done, the healing really hadn't even started. I was on the road to recovery and getting better. And yet our marriage did come back. We did come back together, but the depth of kind of where that took was deep because, um, it took years, you know, to, to get, I think where we're good now, which is beautiful. And that's where I think this format's good. So, I mean, that's, 
that's that's an encapsulated version of 32 years of using it. <laughs> it's probably the same story people listening to this have heard and can identify with. Um, but at that point, I got ready. Yeah, and that's a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I, I always love your freight train analogy, that addiction is like a freight train. Just because we stop pulling doesn't mean that it stops rolling. There's a lot of weight on that damn thing, and it'll run you smooth over months or years after you stop. Yeah. I mean, I tell people when I got sober this time afterwards on day three, I lost my wife very shortly after we sold our home, I lost my job. And then my adult kids were pretty much done. They were, they were done. And so it didn't get better. It didn't. And that analogy is real. A lot of people get sober and think everything's going to be okay. I'm finally doing what's right. And we don't realize that, man, the, the wreckage we've done, we've burned everything to the ground and there's a spouse sitting there going up and trying to hold us together for so long. And it's great year. I remember Christine told me something. She goes, she was really mad and she had moved out and she goes, I hope you're happy. Somebody else is going to get the good you. And I got to deal with the bad you. And I thought, man, like, uh, you know, I mean, I knew it. I was coached with what to say. I can't make excuses for the past. I'm going to do everything I can to be the best husband, friend, and father I can. But man, there's nothing you can say to take off the sting of that. Mm -mm. Nothing. Mm -mm. And that's, you know, that's the reality of it. Um, you know? Yeah. And that's the real fear. And so we, we hear from a lot of spouses about that very thing. It's like, I'm going to leave you and you're going to figure it out. And then some other person is going to get what I've been trying to get out of you for God knows how long. And that's a real fear. I mean, and I've actually never seen it happen personally, but I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Um, I've never known anyone personally happen to, but it probably does. Um, you know, they, they say that, um, selfishness and self-centeredness are at the root of guys like us. And I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I know there's more, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in the brain and in, in the brain, like physiologically, you know, the, the, there's, there's actual problems. We've, we've done some damage to our minds, but I think that I link back to my earliest days. I was selfish in the sense, just like you described that I just, I, I wouldn't trying to hurt anybody. I just wanted to get a buzz. And if I had my buzz, I could deal with life perfectly. I was better. I felt like I was better when I had a buzz, you know? Yeah. There's, um, there's a, a concept in the 12 steps and it's, it makes sense now. And without getting a sponsor or a guide to go into this process, I never would have understood the why. And that's what I wanted to know when I got in. Why did I do the things that I did that hurt the people I love so much? Because it wasn't my intent, but I did it. And that was the journey of my entire adult life. And they talk a lot about disease and allergy. And I used to view that concept and it would, I would recoil from it. Like it's not a disease. A little kid with leukemia is a disease. I get that. This was self-inflicted and with no excuse, I realized that like in the past, my body did physically change the way I processed drugs and alcohol. And that happened a long time ago. And now what I was going to get was the result of that. So if I went back and did it again, my body physically will just pick up where it left off. It doesn't know the difference. It's yep. just, that's what it does. And then that selfishness piece, I realized now after going through that process that I lived my entire life putting me first at the expense of everyone and unintentionally. And it's still a, a lot of traits about, and I'm sure Christine could like talk about a lot of the behaviors too are still really compulsive. Like if I get fixated on something, I do it to the extent of like, my God, slow down. Like we don't have <laughs> yeah, to do it, it right now. She's yes. like, don't do this right now. And I'm talking good things. Um, but yeah, I think that, that journey, um, of an understanding from the, from the alcoholic addict perspective, once I understand it, it makes sense. 
And then I can address it and start to get better and change. But man, from the spouse's perspective, that's a whole different discussion because even when we're not using and doing everything we're supposed to be doing and they see that change and there's a lot of hope, there is baggage from the past and then there's behaviors that are current. And and that's where we were like two years into the journey and I thought everything was good. Now, I, I will own this. She was out with a friend and I was like, what are you doing? Where are you at? And my mind was just like, I don't even know what I was thinking. It was the most insane. I'm, now, look, I'm recovered. I'm two years in. I got a great program. I'm working things normal. I mean, I'm life is better. And I go at her like, what are you doing? And where are you at? And what are you doing? And F you and all this terrible stuff. And then I try to recover from it. It was completely inappropriate. And then she comes home. And man, we're back at two years sober with, I want a divorce. And I'm like, what? How? And and thank God, man, from that point, we sought support through a, a counselor. And we both went separate and talked. And, and that, I mean, I, I really thought that it was over again, like truly. And I, I've seen that happen a lot in recovery where just because one spouse gets okay, the other it, it has, like, they've been dealing with us and- and through that, then Christine's got probably more perspective on that because I tried to take as much accountability as I could for what got us there. But I own that second round of bad behavior. I do. I really look back on it. And I'm like, if I was her, we were talking this morning. It's like, I think she had said one time when we were arguing, like, if I would have done the things to you, you did to me, you would have divorced me for half of it. Yeah. I'm like, I relate to that too. That's like, God, is that sadly true? But Mm-hmm. probably. And that's the selfishness, man. Absolutely. Even with a loving heart and trying to do the right thing, that is the piece that's the core of like what gets us to a point where we need help and can't control, you know? Um, but there's progress, you know, life Absolutely. is good today. Yeah. Is. And th- that's something that comes up a lot for people in early recovery is we don't realize the depth of what we've done to people, like truly realize it, like the, the trauma that exists from that and the betrayal and the PTSD and the emotional and psychological abuse, sometimes even physical abuse, there is wreckage from that. And when I get sober, I just want to look at you and smile and like high five. Like we're good, right? Everything's cool. She's like, motherfucker, are you kidding me? Like, absolutely not. You know, but I didn't realize it. Like, I was trying to do the right thing without realizing the depth of the damage. Because when you're in that opiate fog and like that alcohol fog, you just, you're not really processing anything, you know, like, like our mutual friend, Jim says that the, the greatest gift in sobriety is uh, being able to experience emotions from the beginning all the way to the end. And that meant all emotions that meant pain, sadness, hurt. I mean, all these things, I, I never really considered what the things that I had done and how they had affected her. And like, I had processed this and journaled this not long ago. I mean, I started bawling my eyes out processing this. Like I thought about it. I was like, if she had a clean slate in life, let's, let's, let's rewind the tape. 20 something years ago. And she never met me. What kind of woman would she be? And I mean, I, I choked up hard thinking about it. I'm like, well, she wouldn't have had to deal with someone telling that her emotions were invalid. She wouldn't have to deal with someone lying to her. She wouldn't have to deal with someone threatening her. She wouldn't have had to deal with someone emotionally abusing her and she would be a better person for it. And then I think about this, this image, this vision in my head of, of who Paige could have been had she never stumbled across my sorry ass. I mean, it broke my heart. And all that is what I didn't realize a year sober, two years sober, three years sober. It takes time to really, for, for guys like us to understand that. I don't know why that is, but I think that part of it's because conversations like this don't happen a hell of a lot. You know, like when we're working the steps with, with somebody, 
I'm focused on them. I'm focused on their sobriety and their recovery. Like I'm not a marriage counselor, right? I'm not any of these things, but a, a lot of us don't realize it. And then I think that we don't think to ask either, you know, dude, when, um, we were talking before this, well, two things Paige had said, we were talking kind of a summary of the journey of like, cause I, I sponsor, we do a lot of service, sponsor a lot of people open to sober living, given a ton of time to help other people try to get free. Like if you're going to undo what you did in the past and you get free in recovery, the only way you can really make it better is start helping people because you can't change what we did to get here. Um, and she's like, I'm so Paige had said, I'm surprised that you guys don't talk more about the spouses and which is fair. And I was like, the only thing we can tell someone we're helping is be honest, do God's will first, but I can't give you suggestions on how to manage a marriage because I don't know what the spouse went through and we can't do it. So there's so much of this focus on the person that's addicted, but you really can't give any, any guidance to someone other than that. So it gets untouched. Yep. It just doesn't. And then one more thing. Last night we had our kids over. So we have a, our, our son and daughter live close, uh, 28, both around 28. They have, we have a grandson who's one. He's amazing. We get to watch him two days a week. We both work from home. So I get to watch this miracle. It's a beautiful. My daughter's in town with her boyfriend. The whole family's driving. It's awesome. And Christine has videos that they've taken from VHS into like digital. And she wants to watch them. And we start watching them. And I can see the date. And when they first start, the kids are little. Our marriage, our relationship is new. She's beautiful now and beautiful then. I'm looking at this like, man, this is when things were really good. And then as each like little birthday segment hits, a year clips, and now I'm using. And now I'm watching this with apprehension with all my kids and family wondering, what, I don't know what I would say. I don't know what happened. Now, it's appropriate, but you still realize that like that was the beginning of the 12-year journey that I'm looking at now from a different set of lenses and I'm sitting back with apprehension and I'm thinking, what in the hell is she thinking? Mm -hmm. Right. Cause she lived it and I'm just looking back at it. And, and that kind of like aha moment makes you realize that man, in over time, you're not going to undo the damage of the past. And even with eight years or more, it's going to require a constant effort of building trust and reaffirming and giving her what she needs from a husband because I can't change the fact that what got us to the point that I'm sitting here at this table with you, yeah. that, that's, that's always going to be my story, you know? Um, and, and, and then from her perspective, when we were talking about this and she's really gotten into this podcast. So Matt sends me the podcast and says, Hey, <laughs> I talked about you in this story. And I'm like, okay. So he nails my story really good. And I'm like, man, you totally got all the high points. This is back. And then Christine starts watching them and she's like, man, this is amazing. You need to watch these things. Like you should, have you listened to these? You need to listen to this one and this one and this one. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, is it's the spouse's perspective over like, yeah, you know, this isn't, I don't want to say it's not done, but I realized that if, if I'm going to continue to try to grow and make things right, putting her first, my family first and not being a subject of my nature is an ongoing process. Yes, it is. Know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's when, when he started this podcast, we didn't have any ideas as what it would turn into. We just we kind of fell into it. I think it's one of those God things. It's kind of leads you to a path where, to a place you need to be and where people need to hear the message. And in the last year we were talking about this, um, this last year spending, you know, week in, week out talking about this stuff has strengthened our marriage in ways I never could have imagined ever. And that's the reason we do it now. Um, I would say primarily people that listen are 
in a position where they've got someone who's struggling mightily. Um, they're in and out, in and out. They're still out there. They're still using. And their questions are, well, what can I do to get him sober? Well, uh, mm. how, how can I support him? Um, you know, do I just give him ultimatums? What are boundaries? How do you use them? Uh, all sorts of questions like this, because you've got someone who they generally meet us when we're at our best, like, just like you described. And they're like, wow, this, he's great. He's amazing. He's caring, considerate. He's hilarious. He's kind of, kind of got a wild hair in him and he's just, he's fun, spontaneous, right? Like we, we attract people, uh, and we tend to be intelligent folks. Like I've never met anyone in recovery that I've worked with. Who's like dull, you know, we're just not, we're fun people. And then we get great ideas like, Hey, I've never had a problem with alcohol. Why don't I try drinking? And then that sets it into motion. And then they get to see the monster, the Jekyll and the Hyde. So slide the mic over to Christine. We are, we're working with limited mics here. So, um, you're good. So Christine, I've got so many questions. I know that Paige has questions for you as well. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much for being here. What did, what was, okay. So when you, when you guys met, describe him just in, in general kind of person was he? Oh gosh. He was, um, he, I think you pretty much described it when you said that they had a little bit of an edge to him, but they yeah. were all these good things. He was fun. He was nice. He was caring. Um, just a breath of fresh air from some of the guys I had been dating previously. But he had that little wild edge, which really attracted me because, you know, I like a bad boy. Like those bad boys. <laughs> yeah. And um, at the time, he wasn't using. So I was like, wow, he's like the whole package. How lucky am I? So yeah, okay. So things are going well. You're dating. He mentions to you at some point. If I ever decide to drink, run. Did you understand what that meant? Did you have a, a history or a background with alcoholism or addiction? I had a history with alcoholism from growing up in a home that had alcoholics pretty close to me, but I didn't know really what he meant by that. I was like, hmm, I have no idea what that means, but whatever, you know. Yeah. I don't have to worry about that because he's clean and sober and I don't have to worry about that. I can just have fun. Everything's going to be good Everything's forever. Everything's going to be great. Yeah. No issues. Okay. So, so you, but you knew like, okay, alcoholism bad. I know that right. I'd, I'd seen it in my family growing up if this ever starts. And so he decides to do it. <laughs> how did he, how did he come in with all that charisma and spin that one? Oh my God. He's a master salesman. We do I this. tell you what. Yeah. He could sell ice to Eskimos for real. I mean, he just told me everything's going to be fine. We're going to have fun. We're going to go out and, you know, we can go to bars together. We can go watch the game at the bar, drink some beers, come home. Everything's everything's going to be fine. And I believed it for a while until it wasn't. Yeah. How long? Okay. And you mentioned it, but how long did it take for things to get to the point where it's like bad? Probably about a year before it got really bad. So you hung in there for about a year. Yeah. I saw it kind of building. And then at at about a year, I was like, hmm, this is not going so well anymore. It's not fun anymore. Something's up. And that is a red flag. And we see that a lot where people will get back on and things seem okay for a while. Um, But recognize the red flags. Recognize the red flags. I've someone close to me and people I've known that actually didn't even get a year. I'm kind of impressed you held it together for a year. (laughs) Some people, what's within a few weeks. Yeah. You know, it's just within a few weeks. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, was it his behavior or was it his excessive drinking that made you have the red flag? Both. The excessive drinking obviously caused bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to like going, oh, this is becoming a problem. It wasn't a problem when it was fun. And now it's not fun anymore because his personality would change and all the things that go along with 
alcoholic behavior. What are some of the things early on that you tried to do to get him to realize that this was becoming a problem? Oh, we talked about it a lot. And then he'd promise, oh, I'll, I'll cut back. I'll only drink beer or, you know, made all these promises. All the things we do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All the things that make me feel like, and again, he's the master salesman. So, okay, it's going to be fine. He's just going to drink beer now. You know, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And maybe things get a little better for a little while, Mm -hmm. but then eventually it, it doesn't. And then we, 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 we find our way back to doing the things we do. Yes. Definitely a roller coaster. <laughs> Without a doubt. And I don't like roller coasters. <laughs> so, so you guys have had the, you, you, you had the intimate conversations about it. You talked about it like, Hey, listen, I love you, but we can't keep doing this. And obviously, and I know from your perspective, Steve, like we mean it when we say we're going to chill out. Like we mean it when we say that, like, I don't want to live this way. We mean it when we say that this is not what I intended to do. We just can't control it at some point. We just can't control it. So talk about the progression over the, that 12 year period. And what are some of the things that you started to realize about yourself and your marriage and the realities of what ultimately you were going to have to do? Oh gosh. Well, it took me a while to get to the ultimate, what I needed to do part, but, um, it really was because he was in and out, in and out. I would see hope. Okay. It's going to get better. Um, but then it, didn't. And we kept that same cycle, the roller coaster up and down, up and down, up and down. And I was just honestly exhausted, just trying to keep it together for the kids. Holidays were always a big stressor because another reason to drink. And he was always looking for it, the next reason to drink. And that always stressed me out because I didn't know what that was going to be. Oh, it's Friday. Oh, it's, you know, Memorial weekend. Oh, it's Father's Day. Or, you know, there's always the reason. And of course, I'm always on edge going, am I going to get the asshole or am I going to get the fun Steve drunk? You know, you just don't know what you're going to get. And um, when it came to like the kids starting to notice it is when it was really hard for me because I was trying to hide it from them. I was trying to, they were growing up from like seven and eight all the way through high school, watching this behavior on and off, on and off, on and off. And I'm like, this is bad. This is bad. But I didn't want to break up the family dynamic. I mean, of course I love him. He's my soulmate. Um, I didn't want to lose him either. And I wanted to keep the family intact. Just, I was like, okay, just wait until Cameron's out of high school. You know, I was just kind of giving myself a timeline to really address it and go, right. enough's enough. Um, but then it got to the point and he had mentioned this when his daughter said, I'm not going to come see you anymore. And that's really what gave me the strength to say, if she's saying that and she has the guts to say that, why can't I? Oh, wow. Why can't I just say enough's enough? And I don't have to deal with this anymore. I'm not having to protect the kids anymore. You know, they're grown now. So I was just like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Wow. That's powerful. So it was not just you, but it was your own daughter. That's really what kind gave of brought me this the strength up. to do it. Yeah. I wasn't so brave before that. Did you have anyone in your support group that you were able to talk about this stuff with nope. back then? So it was just you. It was yeah. just you. You were just having to process this kind of on your own. You have to be, well, in a family dynamic, you have to be careful. Like if I, you know, spill this to my mom, how is she going to feel about him? If things work out between us, if I say something to my sisters, they already had kind of like an, he wasn't on their best side because he, they seen the behavior. Right. So there really wasn't anybody I could talk to. I felt like I was dealing with it all alone. Oh God. You relate to that, right Paige? Yes. Yeah. That's tough. And so did you, 
Did you know anything about boundaries? Did you know anything about, or did you give ultimatums along the way? Did you try to hide his liquor or, or I mean, you obviously you were you found his pills many times. Oh yeah, flush those things. I'm sure. I didn't always. I gave him the opportunity to flush him himself. So okay. I'd find him and go, okay, this is not okay. And I, it, it was weird. I don't know how I could find where he hid them every time. <laughs> so bizarre. Soulmates, man. She knows. I did. I was like, something's not right. And so I would find where he would hide them. And he had good hiding places too. He would hide them really well. But um, so I would never really gave him ultimatums. I was just like, this has got to have to stop. But of course, I'm still trying to keep it all together for the kids. You know, I don't uh, want to put the hammer down until I feel like they're safe and they're good. And that's why I had to wait till they were a little bit older. And I finally said, I can't do it anymore. And you strike me as someone who is, I don't know if you were born with self-confidence, but you exude self-confidence. Oh, well, thank you. But you know. <laughs> that's, that's not the case. <laughs> Well, you've, 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 I mean, I, I've, this is the first time we've ever met in person, but I've, I've been friends via social media. I think both of you for many years. So I'm always like, man, she's, she got together. This chick knows what's up. She probably, she obviously wears the pants in this house and she tells Steve's what's up. Like, I learned she, to fake it, you know, I, as we had to fake it as the perfect family. Yeah. Know? Yeah. We know what that's about, right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's surprising actually. Cause I, I guess I had. You know, I created a story in my mind where it's like you were always just firm in this and you just must be an outlier where you were strong enough to be like, I don't put up with this kind of shit and you either get on board or get out. But it wasn't that way. No, I didn't feel like it was anyway. I didn't feel like I had strong boundaries. I'm an enabler. And um, that was probably one of the biggest. He was lucky to get that because then I'd put up with it for so long. But yeah, I don't feel like I was really strong with my boundaries until I saw, like I said, his daughter was like, mm mm. I'm like, dang, she's brave. So it was that Christmas, living with Elvis, Mm -hmm. peanut butter, banana sandwiches, pills, the whole bit, just a mess, just an absolute mess. And that day, I'm assuming you'd had the conversation in your mind several times leading up to that, like one more thing. And I'm just going to snap. I'm just going to snap. Describe to me your feeling during that that period of time. Oh my God. Anxious, nervous, sick to my stomach. I'm like, do I really want to do this? Because it could, you know, he might go, okay, fine, we're done. And I would, that'd be devastating to me. Um, but I had to stand firm. And I mean, I cried the whole time, moving out, everything. I was just like, this is horrible. I hate this. But um, it was ultimately what needed to happen for me. I was like, I'm drowning over here. I can't keep doing this. It's aging me and, you know, I'm not living my life to yeah. the fullest. And I was like, I can't keep doing this cycle. So when you told him, I love you more than anything in the world, I never want to see you again. At that point, had you gone through, so something that, let me back up, something that we hear a lot about is someone who's completely done emotionally with this person, but there are factors in play that they can't necessarily deal with at this moment. A lot of times it's financial. Like, listen, we have a dual income. We've got kids together. Like I can't just up and leave. Did you did you have to work through some of that stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. I had just started um, my real estate career, so I had was building a business and I had not so it was new money and yeah, so that was fairly new at that point. And it just worked out that a family member of mine had a condo to sell in Dallas, and they needed someone to get some work done on it while before I put it on the market. So I'm like, perfect. It gives me some breathing room to get away from here. And I moved down to that condo and. that's where I was staying when I moved out. And we were not in a 
financial position for me to take on extra money, especially because of his job situation and he blew through money pretty fast. Oh, we do that. We're good at that, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we didn't really have a lot. I mean, we were living paycheck to paycheck, which we shouldn't have been. Um, and then we had to put the house up for sale. And there was just so much just continuing to pile on and pile on. And this was from the years of this behavior. It just is caught up with, with us financially and obviously emotionally. So it worked out that I was able to move out. And then, of course, I had to sell the condo and I'm like, oh crap, we still were not in a good place at that time for me to move back. But I was like, what do I do now? Yeah. I moved back in the house and we had like, I tried to create boundaries, you know, saying, you know, this doesn't mean everything's okay. So we ended up selling the house and then we moved into a rental property and we were still working on our marriage and still working on his recovery and everything. And I was seeing some progress and I was like feeling some hope, but then obviously wondering when's the shoe going to drop again. Um, so we moved into a rental house and he was doing great and treating me nice and being kind and got my husband back, the guy I fell in love with. So it was nice breath of fresh air to see that again. I'm like, okay, maybe this, maybe this time will work. So we ended up going and building a house and that brought a lot of excitement and fun. And he got in another job and I was doing well and everything seemed great. And then old behavior pops back up. Now I didn't go back to drinking, just the old behavior and the triggers and the things that he would do. I'm like, oh, this is not good. This is bad. Yeah. So that would also, that's when we ended up going back to counseling because I'm like, old behaviors popping back up just when I thought he was doing good. Maybe it wasn't the alcohol. Maybe he's just jerk, you know? <laughs> um, <Stop laughing>. Yeah. <laughs> Paige's over here just smiling, laughing, nodding. Um, so that was what got us back into counseling again. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this again. You know, I can't keep this roller coaster going. I bet after counseling and one of the things the counselor said that really rang true for me is like, I needed to forgive him because I hadn't, I came back and we kind of just swept everything under the rug and act like everything is okay. But I had gone through 12 years of roller coaster ride and it was not fun. And there was a lot of resentment that oh, yeah. I had not dealt with. And, um, the counseling was really helpful. And, and I still think, you know, Hey, I still have work to do because <laughs> I'm still not where I need to be. Um, and, going through the program, he's done a lot of work. So there's places that I'm deficient in that I'm not probably the best wife I could be because I haven't addressed all that yet. And I know I will, you know, I'll continue self. We're always working on ourselves. We're Absolutely. always trying to get better. Never finished. So, um, you know, for us, I think it's going to be continual, continual work on us and ourselves and our relationship. And I mean, we're great. We haven't been better, but I think in continuing to have a healthy marriage, it's going to take that continual work Without for a both doubt. of us. Without a doubt. That's incredible. And thank you for sharing that. I, I think, um, I'm not sure if you realize how powerful what you did really was. I think that I've talked to more spouses than I can count who want to get to that point, but they just don't quite pull the trigger. Um, what would you say to someone who's going through what you were going through? Like someone who's going through it right now. What, if, if I know I'm putting you on the spot a bit here, but what, what advice would you give someone, a woman who's going through this? Pull that strength anywhere you can to make it happen. Because if, it, if it's meant to be, you guys will come back together stronger than ever. But if it's not, then maybe you'll go away stronger and then that other person will go away and find out what's going to make them stronger. But I think just taking that leap of faith and having the strength and the courage 
to put down your boundaries. Yeah. To save yourself because if you don't, you're going to drown. Oh God, it's powerful. It's, it's so true because two things, there were, there were two outcomes. One is the best outcome, which is what we're looking at right now, which is right. where he seeks recovery. He gets in it. He gives his whole life to it and things start to get better. You can work on the marriage. The other option would have been, he doesn't get it. He stays out there, but you would have been okay. Mm-hmm. You would have figured it out. Yeah. And you don't think at the time, oh, I'm not going to be okay. You know, I'm. This- yeah. You think it's, it's my life's over. Yes. And I'm relying on them financially and emotionally and all these things that you look at your spouse and your partner to be. Um, but you don't realize how much you've been dealing with and how much strength you have. If you've been compensating for that person who hasn't been their best self, trying to cover it up, trying to keep everything together, you have more strength than you realize. Yeah. I tell Paige that all the time. Like, I don't think you realize either. I mean, I, I don't. Like I've, I've always just thought, I don't know if I'm strong or if I'm weak with what I've dealt with and been through. And it's hard to di- differentiate the two. It is. Cause you think, okay, I was an enabler that made me weak, mm-hmm. but you're actually, because you are holding it all together, you're stronger than you realize way stronger. And you have a lot of endurance. So something that it happened with you guys, it happened with us as well. I was sober, I think about five or six years and Paige started going through um, bouts of anxiety, um, a lot of just depression. Her, yeah, depression, a lot of her own personal issues. And without realizing it, she was dealing with PTSD and trauma from the, our past relationship because old behaviors crop back up. Mm-hmm. And I've said this more times than I can count is that, you know, we, we get excited when we get in recovery because things start to get better and you start to feel better, but we don't just feel better. We feel everything better. We feel depression better. We feel anxiety better. We feel fear better. We feel anger better. You start to feel and I was inequipped to deal with a lot of these things. You know, if you've got a good sponsor that is walking you through this stuff and, and you have a good program, there is hope. Um, that's not the case for everybody. Not everyone works a really strong program. So what happens is that you get you get this person back, but they're they're not using, but they might as well be. You know, like some of those same behaviors are are there. And something that underlies a lot of our behavior is this it's this concept of abuse. And I don't, I don't just mean physical abuse, I mean some of the emotional and psychological abuse. That is, if not dealt with, will wear your marriage down to a nub, even in sobriety. Mm-hmm. And and some of the resentment stuff that you're talking about, some of the things that we had never really discussed. Like I like when I did my my ninth step, like I made amends, and I'm sure you did too. Like you made amends, and I knew I was making amends, but I've had to go back and do them several times because there were things that I didn't even realize that I had done. I had a blind spot because I didn't know I was doing it. It's like when you cut off someone in traffic and they honk and you're like, what was the hell was that noise? Where'd that come from? Like, I didn't even know I cut someone off. You know, I had no clue. I had no clue that I had even done some of these things. Like, like yeah, I'm sorry for lying. I'm sorry for stealing. I'm sorry for, um, you know, all these uh, dis- 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 dishonest behaviors, but I didn't realize that I was a selfish prick at my core. And I would continue to be if I didn't acknowledge these things and we really worked through them. So two years, three years in, how have things changed with, with the counseling and with the conversation about the past? And obviously he's, he's, he's amazing and he's working his program. He's taking accountability, which is a prerequisite, but how have, how has your self-esteem improved and, and, and your empowerment being validated from some of these things in, in, in your counseling? Well, the forgiveness piece was a huge part for me to actually forgive him and to move forward. And that helped me in in regards to being able to stick up for myself too. When I start seeing that behavior, speaking about it with him and seeing 
talking to him about my triggers and some of the things that still pop up every now and then. Yeah. So with him, and now that he's gone through the program, he's a lot more open to listening. Oh yeah. They teach us how to listen in there. (laughs) (laughs) And also, you know, validating my feelings, which I had not gotten before. So that was huge when he would validate and go, you know, I understand you're right. You know, before that would be so scary for me to even bring up that topic because you can't really reason and talk to an alcoholic. No, we're unstable. Yeah. And you don't know what you're going to get. And then you feel like it's you that's the problem. And so when he was working as program and validating me and understanding my feelings and what I was going through, that really helped empower me and brought my confidence level up and gave me the ability to talk to him about anything. So even if it's bad, it's okay to talk about it now. So. Yeah. Just to simply say, these are my feelings. Yes. And, and Steve, grab the mic for just a second. I want, I want, so let's talk for a moment how difficult this is. Like validating someone's emotions for me was incredibly hard because when she would be anxious about something that I thought was ridiculous, I would just essentially try to convince her like, that's stupid. That's dumb. Why do you feel that way? Like the, just, just, just it. listen to me, just get over it and just listen to me. Because I thought that validating someone's emotions was the same as condoning the thought process. And if I were to validate her and just say, I understand how you feel and just let her know that she's safe. It was the same as like giving her permission to, to, to be crazy, you know, <laughs> without trusting her that she's an incredibly smart person who can figure this stuff out. Did you work through some of that stuff too? Yeah. You know, we, um, we, we have a phrase that we use in the house. It's, it's kind of recent and we'll say it in jest, but it's like, uh, you'll be all right. Like you'll be all right. And it's, it's an, it's, it, we're, you're kidding when you say it. Yeah. But when emotions and feelings and problems come up, it's easy just to dismiss it or see it from my perspective. And what I realized, like even listening to this journey right now, and even up to the counseling piece is that it made me realize that, that the time it would take for me to get her to a place where she is comfortable and feels whole and good, it takes time and effort and it doesn't happen quickly. And now when she says like before in the past, the worst thing she could say before, like the divorce talk was, is there anything you want to tell me? Oh. And that was like, what do you know? <laughs> and we would get into this game of like, I'm going to see if I can figure out what you know. So I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. And, and now we're at a point where you, we, when we have like, Hey, we need to talk. It's like, what's going on? How do you feel? And that has become a process more for me on my side, realizing that if I'm the recovering addict and I've gotten like free in the program and my life is good, I have to put that same amount of focus back into my marriage to validate her because that is a process that won't, will never go away. And and that's where I think this venue is so important because when you sit here and you hear your spouse just retell that story, it's hard. Oh yeah. I mean, it's really hard because we own it. Um, and and the, and the counseling, I tell a lot of people that I sponsor in recovery, I don't, man, I don't underestimate. First, our faith is really strong. So we're Christians. Jesus mm-hmm. is most important to us. And the counselor was a Christian counselor and that aligned with our faith. And that really drew us back to where like our, our time in faith and church and recovery is really strong for us. And that combination between recovery, counseling, and faith has made it to where it's really set an example of how we treat each other, what we do, what we expect. Um, and things are really, really good now. But even with a lot of stress of the things that we have in life, it requires a lot of effort just to sit and validate the fact that if she's stressed or she's feeling things, I just can't minimize it because if you just listen to me, everything would be okay. Yeah. And that's what I think, you know, and, and that is becoming, um, 
a, a really good exercise that the more we do it, the more, and like we have boundaries, really healthy boundaries. Now we set up boundaries on social media and was like, if you ever hooked up with this person in the past, they don't need to be in your friends list mm-hmm. on both sides. Right? right. These are good boundaries. Like these are not negotiable. There's no like, Oh, I forgot to add them in. No, <laughs> we go through once and eliminate that. And then going forward, if something like that happens, then the conversation is like, there's intent, you know, and we've done that. Like, I know if I was to use again, she would leave. And that is a good, healthy boundary. I, I respect that. And I think the more and I encourage this with a lot of people is when we look at relationships and we sit down is to be really honest about boundaries. You get a lot of people that um, people that sponsor people through faith journeys, friends that have people that are alcoholic. And you say, for instance, if you start dating someone and they say, well, do you look at porn? And whether you do or don't, a man's tendency will say no. No. Hell no. Of course not. Yeah, it's disgusting. Who would do that? Right, who would do that? When in fact, maybe you do. And what I realized is that has just set the foundation of a relationship built on lies. Yep. And if you if we can't have honest boundaries with each other about what we consider to be okay, and we agree to those, then when those fall out, that's a whole different discussion. There's an intent to it. And we have gotten in a really good place where like phones and passwords and emails, and there's nothing hidden. It's an open book. She could take my phone on vacation. I don't care. There's nothing in it. But that took time for both of us to get to a point where we could have a really healthy discussion about what are reasonable boundaries and why and agree to them. And then there's a lot of peace in that. But to y'all's premise here, for the Paige and the Christines of the world and all the other people out there, spouses on both sides, this is a huge untouched topic because there's just not a resource to really look at what is that person dealing with? If it's not Al-Anon or a counseling session. Um, and, and then again, you know, when you hear it, it really does reaffirm that we're not getting off the hook that easy No, because I'm doing the right thing, which is good. Um, but I, I mean, I would say now like uh, having the ability to really clearly communicate about how we feel and what we want and what's important um it, it, that should be the foundation for a healthy relationship. Yeah. But when you throw in our behavior and our nature and how we act, there's a whole different level of work on that. Um, and, and I, and I think for us, it's been, um, it's been a really good journey. That's not over, but it's getting better. And I think hearing each other talk like this is really helpful. And, and I'll say this and shut up. Had she not put that boundary down to leave me, I wouldn't have gotten sober. Yeah. So sad as that is, as hard as that is for people to hear, it might be the thing that saves someone's life. Because sometimes that is just what it takes to make someone realize this is what you've done. And for us, I, I'll forever be grateful that she was strong enough. And now that I know my daughter gave her the strength, you know, she had said, when I knew you, you wouldn't quit drinking for your daughter, I knew you'd never stop. And I thought, man, that's not what you want to hear. But that that set into motion the darkest day of my life ended up opening the door to a freedom that I wouldn't have found had she not been strong enough to do it. So thanks. It's <laughs> crazy as that. You ever thought you'd say thanks for that, right? Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. At the time you sure thanks as hell for didn't. Ruining, thanks for letting me see how I ruined my own world. Yeah. You, you know, and, and working with spouses, um, like I've, I've worked with alcoholics, addicts for a very long time and you get used to some of the things you deal with. The stories that I hear coming from the other side of this battlefield, I mean, break me down to a point that I've, I mean, I will sit in my office and just ball my eyes out. Like the emotional 
the emotional torment that you that you go through realizing what we've done to other people it just it i didn't really occur to me and i don't mean to be ugly about that i'm not it just goes to show how selfish i really am but i just i had no clue i had no idea what we've done to these other people and i think it's it's strengthened my recovery and from the other side of this really getting to see what spouses go through um we didn't set out to like hey we're going to have a solution for spouses but this is what it's ended up being and We've got, you know, we've got a company that's, that's, that's working to do that. And I'd like for a moment for you guys to plug your sober living. We can talk about what you guys have decided to do and, and kind of how to, to give back and, 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 you know, you've got a really good recovery program. Uh, it's really hard to work one-to-one with you know a hundred people. There's only so many hours in the day, but you've kind of designed this, this program where it's one-to-many and talk about your, your journey up to this point with sober living. Okay. So this without one, thank you. And without the plug, so for anyone that listens, if you want to test your marriage, just start a business together. Okay? <laughs> right. And I've, I knew this from my first um, marriage that working with your spouse in a business is just the powder keg because you can't separate the two. But I lived in a sober living and our faith is really strong. And um, I mean, we follow Jesus and that's just, that's, that's what got me free uh, and a lot of things, but that's, what's most important. So this came up and we're like, Hey, she asked me a question. She said, what's your passion and, and what are you good at? Now, if you ask someone at my point in their career, cause we both came together in a marriage with nothing. She left a marriage, left with nothing. And then I came with really nothing and we started to build and then I destroyed everything or pretty much, you know, like, and so we were at this point of like rebuilding. And when your spouse says, what was, what's your perfect job? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm too far in my life to answer that question. Like, it's kind of a sad thing to say, but <clears throat> I mean, that would make money, you know? Yeah. I could, I could pick a hobby. And so anyway, we prayed and prayed and prayed and it, the, God lit this path. to like, keep putting things in as this a purpose. So we started the sober living. It's hope living house. It's in McKinney, Texas, and it's for men and it's for um, substance abuse and it's to provide them for a place typically leaving inpatient rehab to uh, find a safe place to recover. And as we kind of met together, and this is where her strength comes in so huge. You start this process and you look at any venture, what you're going to do, and it's with a really good intent. So let's say it's to help people. I'm going to build an orphanage. I don't know. Whatever the vision is, at some point, it becomes a business. And it's really hard to, to not focus on the economics and the finance and all these things that mm-hmm. are important. And lose sight of the goal, the purpose. And so she said, man, if if we would just focus on how many people we could help, God will pave this path. Yes. It pivoted this whole discussion. But in our marriage, what it's been is a ton of work up to our eyeballs. And it's brought in a pretty good level of stress where we've argued about things that we would never argue about because it's in the process of trying to make this happen. And you realize a lot of those dynamics are just part of that life journey, right? Yeah. But it is. It actually, we opened um, on Friday, and through God's grace, we have our first two clients today, we believe, and Monday. And then the goal was really to um, help people recover and find God. That's it. But she has been, and this is like my passion, right? It's like, this is something that I do with recovery to help people. Her input of that has been so inspiring because it's kept me aligned on the purpose like this is the purpose, not and and that is like the balance that we don't realize the how much the spouse carries that weight of helping us stay that course because her strength has given me and then we lift each other up 
You know, yeah. when it gets stressful and you guys I'm sure can relate. Oh yeah. And so it's, it's an opportunity to help. And, I, and as I said earlier, I believe that the only way to undo the past for me as a recovering addict who spent 32 years using and had all of this baggage to get here is to try to help people. And if I can help someone get out, then I get to see that miracle. And I believe when I stand in front of God, he's going to say, that was a good thing. You did. And, all and right. So, so that, right. And, but from her perspective, it, this is now doing, and maybe it's from pages as well. A, something that starts with like a recovery theme or it gets in that road, but realizing if one person gets helped, then the greater good is helped. And, and so as we've done this together, it's really been an exercise in faith and trust. Um, but for us, it's an opportunity to just see if we can help further that. And then from her perspective, it's been a way to exercise a faith journey of like, okay, we're going to help. Um, and it's still challenging, but it's also, we believe that we've brought onto our plate something that's going to give us the ability to help people. And that's been like the drive. No, yeah. Get her perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so how has this been for you? Challenging? Has it been difficult? Has it been like, do you, do you still trust that? Okay. I'm dealing with sober Steve. Do old behaviors still pop up? Like we started a business together as well. So when we started till the wheels fall off Tufo. um, we didn't exactly know what it was going to be, but just like you guys, I love hearing this, that we knew that we, if we could just find a way to help people financially, things would take care of themselves because if you're helping people, it's something that few people can actually do. People will find you. The word will get out and good things will happen. Never on my timeline because I'm selfish, self-centered and I want things to happen now, yesterday. Uh, but Paige has very much kept me in line with that as well. So what does this look like for you? Oh, of course, it's been all those things, stressful, you know, fulfilling. And yes, old behaviors come out for sure. But um, I think we're a good balance. You know, when I'm feeling like insecure about it, he'll say, you know, remember, have faith. And then when he gets too anxious, like I need to have it happen now, I'm like, be patient. So it's been good. That we've been able to use a lot of the tools that he's learned through recovery too, because as he's gone through recovery and he shares some of the things that he does in his step work and helping other people, it's helped me so right. much. It's helped me grow and it's helped me um, have a whole different perspective on things as well. So if he didn't have that, then we probably wouldn't be where we're at with the business or our marriage or any of this. So I think that, um, it's definitely challenged us though, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, do you guys have a website or anything where, where people can find out more about the, about the sober living facility? Yeah, we do. It's, um, hope and it's in McKinney, Texas. So obviously this is probably reaching a really wide audience. Um, and then it's, uh, you know, inpatient it's for people post inpatient. So, yeah. And it's a great way to transition back into life. Hey man, I, I agree too. I think you hit on a really good point. Like if we as a couple align ourselves into ways that we can come together and try to do something that for helping people is huge for us. But what we realize is that a lot of the experiences we've had through counseling, through her, her recovery, her journey, what I've learned in recovery, the more we clearly communicate and share that what's happened is it has become an opportunity for us to both grow together. Yep. And and that's the piece like where it makes something like this exciting because I wouldn't be able to do it without her. There's no way. I mean, yeah. I could start the I could start the concept um and then having the ability for us to lean. So I think for people listening, it's like there can there really can be a, a happy ending to the journey that starts really bad, mm -hmm. right? And there can be. But the effort it takes and without the, like those boundaries that she had put up, we wouldn't be there. And so I will always be 
forever grateful. She's my soulmate, but for the fact that she was strong enough to stand on that, to put me in a position to go forward. And now we're in a position where we can truly help people. Yeah. And to me, that's like God's grace all over the place. And, and the spouse, the friend, the soulmate, the partner, to be able to realize that that is a beautiful gift. The person in recovery might not see it until that person's gone. And that's just a hard reality. Yep. But the other side of it is there's a lot of hope in that. There can be a lot of hope in that. The good things can't happen. There can be happily ever afters. Our family, our kids, we had our grandson this morning, our kids and adult kids. There's an environment of love and stability that we've never had before. And our life is beautiful. And it's not about money. It's not about stuff. Yeah. You know, and that, man, there's hope that like, if anybody listening here gets a, a drop of hope, there can be a good, there can be a happy ending to what seemed like a pretty dark time. And I think that's, we're in a good spot. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for sharing your journey. And I've said this more times than I can count that I think that adversity breeds strength when you get through it and give me a marriage with someone who's worked through something like this over any typical marriage any day, you will find two people who really know each other. And really are working towards the same things in life. Hang on, this dog's about to freak out. Excuse us. <laughs> okay. We just had some kids come to the door, which I guess tells us it's about time to go. So <laughs> so thank you guys for, for coming in, telling your story. Thank you so much for for sharing your experience, strength, and hope from both sides of this, you know, from the side that we typically don't get, which is the the partner side. Um and you know, for everyone that's been here listening with us over the last year, I, I can't thank you enough for you know, there, there were times where Paige and I would, would talk and we'd look at our downloads and it's like four people listened this week. Like, are we, if, we're, if our goal is to help people, what are we doing here? And I would tell her, I promise you that if we keep this up, we're going to help people. And if we're helping people, the message will grow. It took us nine months to get um, 10,000 downloads and then something happened and we've more than doubled that in less than 90 days. Um, it's it's out there. People, people it resonates with people. They, they want to hear it. And, um, to everyone that's listened over the last year, Paige and I can't thank you enough for being with us. And I'm, I'm so grateful to have you here for this, this one year anniversary of this deal. It's so cool. And Christine to meet you as well. This has just been freaking amazing, man. Absolutely amazing. So thank you all. Uh, and that's all we've got. Uh, be on the lookout for possibly another shorter episode this week on Friday. Usually we do a Wednesday drop, but I think we're going to do a Friday this week as well. It's a special week for us. Uh, so until next time, I am Matt. I'm Paige. And we'll see you. Bye.